Well, I have a bit of an uh, announcement to make, though don't get yourself too excited. Um, my wife, Eliza, announced the other day as we were standing in front of the bathroom mirror that she has discovered gray hair in my head. Yeah, don't, don't applaud. Why are you applauding? Is that you, September? <laughs> what are you like? You feel like I'm with you now? <laughs> okay. Oh, back at ya. She works at the office. I can do that. Yeah, so it, evidently it's not just an isolated strand or two. Um, so quit staring at me, okay? Everybody's like, looking at my head. Uh, but evidently there are uh, places on my head where I'm apparently showing signs of aging. Um, for now, I think the most honest thing to say is that I am in denial. Um, I still think it's just the angle of the light. I have unusually light hair, and what she was seeing was just some blonde hair. That says the word of the Lord. So, I'm apparently aging, and apparently I'm not alone, because if you pick up the, the local newspaper on a typical Monday, um, or really many days during the week, you will find all manner of advertisements for What? for retirement communities, assisted living facilities that will help you age well. Have you all seen some of these things? Aging well? Evidently, that's kind of the new phrase. So, so I have noticed that the older adults and all those pictures and advertisements, they're always smiling. Right? They're always smiling. They're drinking wine. They're swimming in endless saltwater pools. They're playing golf, and they're generally having a good time. But you know, I look at those pictures, friends, and I am all too aware, because I know many of you, that that is not the whole story. It's just not the whole story. I think for most of us, life doesn't get easier as the years pile up. I think it gets harder. Joints stiffen, hearts weaken, memories fade, eyesight fails. And, and that's just the physical side of things. I mean, think about the relational side of things. You know, what about all the troubles in, in the life of, of your dying parents? If your parents are at that point, or your aging friends, or your own children and grandchildren, I've noticed that as the number of lives that we're connected to and care about continues to grow, so do the number of troubles that on any given day could disquiet our hearts, right? It's the way it works. And I haven't even mentioned the challenges of paying a growing number of medical bills on a fixed income. As you're aging. Now, if you're a Christian, hopefully, you know that the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. We're going to sing about that later today. But that doesn't change the fact that for now, at least, aging is inevitable. It's inevitable. It's part of the reality of life in a fallen world that, that is what? That is groaning under the curse of sin and death, and, and it's that sorrow, that pain, the trouble of aging, 
that I want to address in a particular way this morning. Surprise, surprise. So let me warn you and remind you that that Psalm 71 offers hope and help for all of us. Okay, yes, this is my attempt for the next 40 minutes to make sure that many of you in this room don't just tune me out. He's going to talk about aging, so forget that I'm 16 or I think of myself as 16. Don't tune me out, okay? Because the revelation of truth about what? Who God is and what it means to follow him in this word, this is what we all need. We all need it. And those truths are not uniquely true in old age. They are always true. Praise God for that. But some of the struggles in this psalm are uniquely tied to old age. And as our church continues to grow in diversity in all ways, including the age of our members, so thankful now that we're increasingly covering the spectrum, both racially and in terms of our age, I wanted to preach a sermon in this series on Songs of Lament that specifically addressed the challenges of aging. Because I think it's hard. And I don't think it is reflected in the happy pictures in the newspaper. Now, I don't think I have to tell you that I cannot preach in large part from my personal experience. I speak as a younger pastor attempting to shepherd older saints right now, uh, many of whom are more than twice my age. I have not seen all you've seen. I haven't experienced all you've experienced. And, and for that reason, I am eager to listen to you and learn from you. I think of just even some of the lunches I've had with our, our brother Jack Green on the back row uh, over the last year or so. And, and Jack has given me great wisdom as I sit with him and hear how he has faithfully followed the Lord and faithfully loved your wife, Jack, before the Lord took her home. I need relationships like that as a younger pastor. But the fact that I have not personally experienced, at least as long as I continue in my denial, (laughs) a lot of the challenges of aging does not dissuade me from addressing it today. And here is why, friends. Here is why as a younger pastor, I'm not going to shy away from addressing with the word of God the challenges of aging, okay? I'm convinced that if you are older and you identify with the challenges of aging, that you don't need a speaker to stand up here and share their personal experience about bifocals and iPhones for dummies. I'm convinced of that. Okay, what what you need is a shepherd who loves you enough, even if he is 30 or 40 years younger than you, to not sit down until he has faithfully proclaimed the word of God to you. That's what I want to do. That's why I'm up here. I'm not up here because I think I have some experiential authority when it comes to aging. I'm up here because the word of God has all authority and it speaks to every part of life, including our aging. And in case you're tempted to tune me out because you're a teenager, I just want to remind you, your day's coming. Okay, your day's coming. Your day's coming. Because unless the Lord comes back first, 
you're going to grow older and birthdays will not be as exciting as they are right now. Think about it. When was the last time you heard a 77-year-old say when you ask how old they were, which by the way, young folks, just don't even do that. Okay, bad move. Just say you're looking great. But if, if you did ask and they did say, when's the last time you heard him say, well, I'm 77 and a half? No, they don't do that, right? Only little kids do that. Why? Because birthdays get harder. So pay attention because we're all going to be there if you're not there right now. Which is why we need this word. You know, we don't know. You may be wondering, looking at the beginning of this psalm, well, who wrote this thing? Was it David, somebody else? We, we don't know exactly who. Uh, but what we do know is that the author was suffering as an older man who had followed the Lord for many years. Look at verse 9. Look at verse 18. What, what does he say? Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Verse 9. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. Verse 18. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me. Friend, if you feel like your strength is spent, and you are wondering how to follow God and relate with God amidst all the sorrows and difficulties of, of aging, pay attention to these words and let the word of God lead you in the way of lament. And what's that way? We're about halfway through this series. The way of lament is a way of relating to God in the midst of our sorrows where we do four things. We cry out to the Lord in our trouble. We pour out our complaint to him. We declare our trust in him. And we ask him to intervene in our situation for our good and his glory. And that includes the troubles and sorrows of aging. So, so I think the first three verses of this psalm summarize the point of the whole. And, I, and I'd put it this way, okay? As you grow older, here's the claim. As you grow older, continue to make the Lord your refuge. For he who has been your rock and fortress all the days of your life will be so to the very end. That's the word of the Lord to you. If you're aging, continue to make the Lord your refuge. Because he who has been your rock and your fortress all the days of your life will be so till the very end. Look at verse 3. It's just so clear. He comes right out and says it. Be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. You have given the command to save me for you are my rock and my fortress. Listen, we, we live in a world that says what? That says maturity equals independence. Right? That's the world we live in. That, that's the exact opposite of the gospel. What's the gospel say? Christian maturity equals dependence. Okay, specifically, dependence on the Lord in all situations and at all times. So here's what that means. As you grow older and the troubles of aging crowd in on you and multiply, you have a choice to make. Very simple choice. Are you going to bemoan the reality that your strength is spent and, and turn inward in a spiral of grumbling and bitterness? Are you going to embrace the day when your strength is spent as yet another opportunity to make the Lord your refuge? That's the choice. I could sit down right now. <laughs> There's the choice. Go with option B. That's the point, okay? But we need to ask, why, why did the psalmist know 
that he could call out in verse 3, God, be to me a rock of refuge. How did he know that the Lord would be his refuge? Why did he know he could continually come to the Lord, even in his old age, and find a, a rock and a fortress, deliverance and salvation day after day after day? Well, look at the second half of verse 3. What does he say? You have given the command to save me. Think about that. The, the psalmist's confidence that, that God will remain his refuge all the days of his life isn't grounded in what his failing strength would suggest is true. What's it grounded in? It's grounded in what the eternal God has said is true. That's the point of a command. It's God's command. The Lord has given a command to save him. His confidence that God is a God who saves isn't found in how strong the author feels, but in what God has said about himself. What has God said in Psalm 91, verse 9? Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. For God will what? He will command, see the word? He will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent. You will trample underfoot. Now I warn you, when God says, older saint, that he's issued a command to save you, he's not promising and I hope you know this by this point in your life, that life will be easy for you. And he's certainly not promising that you're going to feel like an overcomer every step of the way. Okay, what, what he is saying here in issuing a command to save you is that when you choose to look to God for hope and help in every situation, especially as you grow older, you will never be disappointed. You'll always find a rock of refuge. Not just a periodic rock or an occasional rock, a, a continual rock. In, in the same way that when my little boys jump into the pool and immediately do what? Grab onto the side. That's what they do, right? Jump, grab. Jump, grab. That, that concrete wall is a refuge for them. As you're aging, God, God wants you to grab onto him. To make him your refuge over and over and over again, because he's a righteous God. He keeps his promises. He, he fulfills his commands. And if you're willing to run to him, then know this. He has issued a command to save you. So how do we do that? I want this to be a very practical sermon. How do we continue to make the Lord our refuge, especially as we grow older? Confident that, that he who has been our rock and fortress all the days of our life, will be so to the very end. How, how do we do that? How do we make God our refuge when you're aging? Well, I think the psalmist gives us several answers here. And I want to give you at least three of them, time permitting. So here's the first. As you grow older, make the Lord your refuge by praising God for his faithfulness to you in the past. As you're battling the challenges of aging, how do you, how do we 
Make the Lord God our refuge, given he has issued an authoritative command to save those who do that. That means it's a good thing to go to him for refuge. You're not going to be disappointed. So given that, how do we get there? How do we do that? First, we praise God for his faithfulness to you, to us in the past. Verses 4 to 8. It's worth noting that the psalmist doesn't take very long to ask God to intervene. And his suffering, the troubles he's experiencing as an older man, verse 4, rescue me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel man. And we don't know exactly what this, this man was doing to him, what his enemy was up to. What's clear is that the psalmist feels trapped, right? He, he feels as though he is being closed around by his enemies and, it, and his life, like grasping something in a hand, is being controlled by someone else who's not seeking his good. He's in the power, so he feels, of someone who hates him. And apparently, it's not the first time he's experienced this sort of oppression. So, so what does verse 20 tell us? That this gentleman, this aging saint, has seen many troubles and calamities. Many troubles and calamities. Over the course of his life. And now things have reached a point where as an older man, verse 9, his strength is spent. what, What a good picture that is. He's tired. And not just in a, I need to sleep in tomorrow morning. There's a long term tiredness. As far as his resources are concerned, he he is tired of hauling himself out of bed. All he wants to do is rest. He's reached the end of his rope. He's got nothing left. He's, he's desperate. He, he's exhausted in a cumulative effect of the years kind of way. And so he cries out to the Lord to, for rescue. But, but notice this, friends. His attention isn't limited to his present situation. His present situation is real, it's painful, but his attention isn't limited to that. In verse 5, he turns his gaze to the past. Notice this. Identifying the reason why he's choosing in the present to cry out to the Lord in his trouble. Okay, verse 5. For you, you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. What's he saying? We're saying that by the grace of God, he's followed the Lord for decades. Okay, he's not a newcomer to the faith. From, from the early years of his life, he's placed his hope and trust in the Lord. So when he's choosing to call out to the Lord as an older man in this present situation, he's not doing something new. He's doing something old. He, he's doing something he's done time after time, year after year. And as he surveys the history of his relationship with God, in the midst of his present pain, Turning his attention to the past, he sees something. Something that that emerges as the banner over his past. What's that? He sees that God is the one who has sustained and helped him every step of the way. That's what he sees. Beginning with what moment? The moment he was conceived, verse 6, in his mother's womb. 
He looks to the past and he remembers that God is the one who has sustained and helped him. And the Lord's used him, we're still looking into the past, in some amazing ways. So look at verse 7. What does he say? I've been as a portent to many. What's a portent? That's an old-fashioned word. It's, it's a sign. A sign to many. His, his life has been a source of spiritual guidance and direction for many people. Whether that's pointing them away from what is evil or, or toward what is good. His life has done that. His ministry achievements are significant. His spiritual legacy was sizable. But the more he lingers, the more he finds his thoughts drifting back to years gone by. Please hear this. The more he realizes that the banner over his life is not all the things he's done for God, but all the things that God has done for him. I have been as a portent for many, but what? But you, God, are my strong refuge. That's the banner over his past. Not not his accomplishments, not his ministry achievements, not his spiritual legacy. That's great, but that's not the banner over his past. The banner over his past, the word over his past is this. God has been my refuge. That's his story. Not just once, but over and over and over again. As an older believer, he has an advantage that a younger believer like me does not. It's called the advantage of time. The perspective of history. And so, in the midst of his present suffering, he turns his gaze to the past and recognizes and remembers all the ways that God has been exceedingly good to him. And notice what happens when he does that. Verse 8. Surprise, surprise, my mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. Now, wait a minute, though. Before we do, oh, here's the happy turn in the psalm. Come on, feel good now. Wait a minute. I thought, verses 1 through 3, that this guy was desperate. I thought he needed rescued. I thought he felt trapped in the hands of wicked men. Well, he did and he is. Still, but he refused to allow, please hear this, his present sorrow to function as the sole lens through which he discerned the character of God and the ways of God. He he exchanged the zoom lens that would fixate on his present for a wide angle lens that included the past. And as he did that, he saw amidst all the trouble and all the sorrow the history of God's work in his life, and only one conclusion was possible. God, you've been exceedingly faithful to me. Your ways haven't been easy. Your ways haven't always made sense. But one thing I cannot deny, and my own experience forces me to confess in every situation, every hardship, every difficulty, every decade, you have shown yourself to be a strong refuge for my soul. So brothers and sisters, if you've walked with the Lord for decades, know this, God has given you a precious gift in the midst of your present sorrow, and it's called the gift of the past. And the older you grow, the more you have both an opportunity and a responsibility to put Psalm 103, 1 through 2, 
into practice. What's that? Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And what? Forget what? Forget not all his benefits. You want, you want a mandate from the Lord that goes beyond swimming in salt water and playing golf and drinking wine and smiling for pictures. Forget not all his benefits. The most important way you will make the Lord God your refuge amidst the troubles of aging. Older saint, forget not all his benefits. I love how the biblical patriarch Jacob, who had encountered plenty of trouble in his life, when it came time to, to blessing his grandsons, he spoke of the Lord this way, Genesis 48. The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd. All my life long to this day. That was his story. Friend, if you are a Christian and you allow the word of God to broaden your gaze, to include the past, you will see the faithfulness of God to you. And that too will be your story. Older saint, forget not all his benefits. And on a very practical note, I want to encourage those of you as you are aging to take up the spiritual discipline of journaling. Okay, there's no one verse in the Bible that says thou shalt journal. <laughs> okay, but what has God commanded us? Forget not all his benefits. And if you recognize that as you grow older, your memory is prone to fade, then it gets a little harder to forget not all his benefits. And that means we need a practical way to write them down so that on our day of our trouble, we can open that journal and confront our soul with the record of the faithfulness of God. Uh, many of you will know um, Mavis Kofi's mom, Lydia, Lydia, are you here? Hi, Lydia. <laughs> She's on the back row. Um, Lydia came to us uh, from London via, well, from Ghana via London. Is that right, Lydia? Um, when she arrived, Kevin, uh, her son-in-law, showed me a journal that she keeps where she had recorded all the prayers she had prayed for his family for decades. And next to him, she would write a note when God answered the request. And she opens that up and she shows Kevin and confronts him with the faithfulness of God. That's what I'm talking about. And you are an example, Lydia. And I thank you for doing that, even though I cannot read a word of your journal because it is in tree and not English. You're honoring the Lord and you're forgetting not all its benefits. As you grow older, make the Lord as your refuge by praising him for his faithfulness to you in the past. Do that well, church. Point number one. Point number two. Second way we make the Lord our refuge, when we're aging, we ask God to glorify his name through our life in the present. What's point number one? We praise God for his faithfulness to us in the past. Point number two we pray for God, we ask God to glorify his name through us in the present. I'm looking especially at verses 9 through 18 here. So it's worth remembering at this point that praising God for his faithfulness in the past doesn't take away the pain of present suffering. 
right? The psalmist is he's desperate for God to intervene and, and deliver him. But here's what I find most provoking about the request he brings before the Lord in verses 9 through 18. Listen, he's not fixated on his physical health. He's not preoccupied with his material prosperity. He's not even focused on deliverance from enemies per se, his, his prayers are the overflow. What, what is filling these verses is a singular burning passion for God to be glorified through his life. And I think that desire plays out in at least three ways. Okay, first, look at verse 9. And a passion for God to be glorified in the world around him. Verse 9. Don't cast me off in the time of my old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. For my enemies speak concerning me. Those who watch for my life consult together and say, Aha, God has forsaken him. Pursue and seize him, for there is none to deliver him. Oh God, be not far from me. Oh God, make haste to help me. May my accusers be put to shame and consumed with scorn and disgrace. May they be covered who seek my hurt. Church, what's motivating his prayer for deliverance from his enemies in the world around him? What's motivating him to pray, God, deliver me? It's the fact that in his present distress, what his enemies see is prompting them to apparently to conclude that God has forsaken him. And so what does he pray? Lord, do the exact opposite. Vindicate your glory. By, by saving me in such a, a visible public way that instead of me being put to shame for hoping in you, all my enemies are put to shame for thinking that you were going to forsake me. He's pleading for deliverance motivated by a passion for the glory of God. Not his physical health, not his material prosperity, not his retirement agenda. He's jealous for God's glory. But not just God's glory in the world. Also God's glory in the church. Look at verse 14. But I will hope continually, and I will praise you yet more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord God, I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. Think about it. Where is he coming? Okay, who is he reminding of the singular righteousness of God. What's the people of God? It's his fellow worshipers, which for all the older saints who are listening to me right now is all the people sitting around you, including the preacher on stage. <laughs> okay, it's, it's the church. In other words, he doesn't keep the record of God's faithfulness to himself. He shouts it from the rooftops so that every follower of Yahweh within hearing distance can hear just how much God has done for him. So older saint, if you've been following the Lord for decades, remember this, you have a story to tell. You have a story to tell. Your life is an undeniable record of what? God's righteous acts and deeds of salvation. In fact, lest you forget, there are more righteous acts and deeds of salvation in your life than you will ever be able to number. Verse 15, for their number is what? Past my knowledge. That means, older saint, you will never reach a point in your life where in reviewing God's faithfulness to you in the past, you look at the people around you and you say, well, that's the end of it. <laughs> 
you are always going to have more to proclaim about the goodness of God to you. And you're not going to run out of those stories until the day he takes you home. I need your story. Because it's not ultimately your story. It's God's story. And season saying, it's through hearing the story of God's faithfulness to you that I too will remember that God is a righteous God. That there is no one else like him and that he is worthy of my trust in all my own suffering. But notice it's not just a prayer motivated by desire for God's glory in the world or in the church. It's also a prayer motivated by a desire for God's glory in the life of his children and grandchildren. Look at verse 17. O God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation and your power to all those to come. Do you see the connection? What is he doing? He's saying, Lord, I'm an old man. You've been faithful to me all these years. Don't stop now. Don't forsake me now. Why not? Because I'm not done telling all the young people around me just how mighty and powerful you are. Intervene in my situation, Lord. Rescue me from my enemies. But I'm not simply asking so I can enjoy a life that's comfortable and easy. I'm asking so I can fulfill the mission you've given me to tell all who will listen, especially all these young people, that you are a great God and you are worthy of praise. Can I just say as a younger man that what I need the most from you, older saint, is not for you to tell me endless stories about all the things you've done over the years. I need you to proclaim the wondrous deeds of the Lord. Not your wondrous deeds. The wondrous deeds of the Lord. I I need you to show me what it means in the midst of troubles and sorrows that, that await me in the future that God is worthy of my trust. And so when I get there, I'm not afraid because I've watched you go before me and I've seen through the abiding passion God gave you for his glory in the world, his glory in the church, his glory in the next generation, that there is a mission to fulfill in our older years that is greater than my own comfort and my own ease and my own convenience and my own security. I need that from you. I need you to tell me as a younger man that God is most assuredly a God who saves. So as you lament your sorrows, as an older saint, brother or sister, take care, please take care, that your prayers are God-centered, not self-centered. God-centered, not self-centered. Take care that the supreme desire And the heart of God remains the supreme desire in the heart of your lament. What's that? 
Father, glorify your name. (laughs) Glorify your name. Glorify your name in my world. Glorify your name in my church. Glorify your name in the eyes of my children and grandchildren. Show yourself faithful to me as an older man once again, Lord, such that your glory is upheld for all to see. As you grow older, make the Lord your refuge by praising him for his faithfulness in your past. Praying for him to glorify his name in your present. And finally, trusting God to fulfill his promise to you in the future. Point number three. Look at verse 19. Your righteousness, O God, reaches to the high heavens. You who have done great things, O God, who is like you? There's a whole sermon on that verse. (laughs) Do do you realize that that's not just the content of what the psalmist wanted to proclaim to the next generation? Those are all the things about the Lord that he needed to trust in his present situation. (laughs) What what did he need to remember and cling to? Well, he suffered as an older man. Okay, three things. First, he needed to remember the character of God. What's that? He is a God whose righteousness is unimaginably great. All other forms of righteousness, all other expressions of of goodness and perfection, they pale in comparison to the Lord. That's who he is, church. He needed to remember the character of God. Second, he needed to remember the works of God. That this one whose righteousness reaches to the high heavens has done what? Small things? No, great things. Great things. Great things in the world. Great things for Israel. Great things in his personal life. And third, he needed to remember the supremacy of God. Oh God, who is like you? What's the answer to that question? No one, right? No one at all. No one in eternity past. No one in eternity future. God has no rival, no equal, no up-and-coming younger competitor, And it's his sovereign will, seasoned saint, that continues to reign even in the midst of your many troubles and calamities. So please hear this. Only a God who is Lord over your suffering in older life can be trusted to bring it to an end. Did you realize what what he says about his troubles and calamities. God, you are the one who made me see them. He's not taking refuge in some promise that despite all the nonsense that life has thrown his way, he's got God in his back pocket. And God's going to punch it in the face till he dies. (laughs) No, he is trusting the promise of God that he serves a God who is sovereign even over his troubles and calamities. And because God is Lord over his suffering, he is most assuredly able to bring an end to his suffering. That's what he's doing. And the Lord will be faithful to do that by reviving him again. Look at verse 20. From the depths of the earth, you will bring me up Again, remember I said, what's the third way we take refuge in the Lord? We, we trust him amidst the stars of old age 
that he will fulfill his promise to us in the future. So hear this. On on this side of the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, we know that those words aren't just figurative. He will bring me up again. That's not just figurative. They're real. They're real, right? Because it's in the gospel that God holds out to all who repent of their sins and trust in him for the forgiveness of their sins, the free gift of eternal life, right? If if you're in Christ, you're no longer spiritually dead. You've been made alive. And that spiritual life, older saint, that you have even right now ensures that even if one day you physically die, there will be another day, the day the Lord returns, when you'll no longer have an aging body. Praise God for that, you're going to get a new body. And what's Paul say about that in 1 Corinthians 15? This promise of a new body. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed for this perishable body, this aging body, this decaying and dying body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal, the immortal, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, Where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is a promise from King Jesus to you, seasoned saint. That your perishable dying body will not be the end of the story. God promises in verses 20 and 21 that he will revive you again and bring you up, as it were, from the the depths of the earth, increase your greatness and your comfort. And we know that, not because we have some sort of vain hope, that the hope of an aging psalmist is true. I hope you recognize that. We don't believe the promise that God will revive us again simply because the psalmist thought it would happen. We believe that promise, friend, because we know that will happen because that's exactly what happened to Jesus. That's his story. God revived him again. And all who are found in Christ by faith will be likewise revived in him. So it's the gospel that assures you that God will fulfill his promise to revive you even if you have to wait to heaven to experience it. So we take refuge in the Lord by trusting him to bring that salvation to pass. Look at verse 24. I'll close with this. The psalmist was so confident that God would not forsake him in his old age that he spoke of the answer to his prayer for deliverance, check this out, as a past event. Verse 24. And my tongue will talk of your righteous help all the day long, for they have been put to shame. 
and disappointed who sought to do me hurt. That's faith speaking. He was still felt like he was in their grasp, but he trusted the promises of God, even in his old age. And brothers and sisters, because of what Jesus has done for us and promised to do for us, we have even more confidence that the redemption we know now in part will one day be the redemption that we experience in full. We have even more confidence than he did. And like the psalmist, we express our trust in the Lord by refusing to wait for the final day to sing of his faithfulness with loud shouts of joy. So this, honestly, is a very simple word. As you grow older, make the Lord your refuge. Because he who has been your rock and fortress all the days of your life will be so even to the end. And you do that in at least three ways. You praise God for his faithfulness in the past. You pray for God to glorify his name through you in the present. And you trust God to fulfill his promises to you in the future. That's what it means when the Bible says, age well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I am so thankful uh, that as a younger man, I see in the lives of many older saints in this church the truth of everything I have just preached from your word. But Lord, you know far better than I do that after decades of following you, what many of my brothers and sisters need the most is not to learn something new, but to remember something old. And so King Jesus, I pray that right now as we sing this song and we follow the psalmist in praising you for your deliverance, even the deliverance that we are waiting for. I pray, Lord, that you would fill the hearts of seasoned saints in this room with a new gratitude for your past faithfulness to them, a new passion for you to glorify your name through their life in the present, and new trust that you will fulfill your promises to them. I thank you, Father, that I have the privilege of standing on the shoulders of a magnificent spiritual heritage in this church, and I pray, Lord, for every saint listening to me now who may go to be with you this year or next year or in the next 20 years, that you would empower them to finish well. And that in watching them finish well, that all of us who are younger would find our faith and our courage and our resolve likewise growing to finish well too. Do that, I pray, in the way we lament our sorrows in all seasons.